Let's pray in thanksgiving. Our gracious God, again, we come before you with so much to be thankful for. Lord, we're thankful uh, that you are the God who provides. Lord, we thank you for everything that you have provided for us. And God, thank you for this wonderful worship that we can partake in by giving. Lord, we pray that you would use everything given for your glory. Lord, would you use everything given so that your kingdom might be built and extended and expanded so that where there is no worship in the world, there might be worship. Lord, bless all the giving that this church partakes in. Bless all those that we give um, money to, including those in the Don's ministry, the TSCF, and uh, those men who we've helped through seminary. Lord, bless all of those things that we have um, participated in for your glory. Use it, Lord, so that your name would be made famous where it is not famous already. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please grab a seat. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue in Mark. So Mark chapter 6, from verse 14. Mark chapter 6, from verse 14. And we'll read down to verse 29. All right. This is Mark chapter 6, verse 14. This is how God's word reads. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept them safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went away, she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Now let's ask for the Lord's help. 
Lord, as we come to such a serious passage, uh, one where we see what man is like uh, when untouched by God, what man is like when infected by sin in every area. Lord, help us to come carefully considering what this is. And Lord, would you help us to search even ourselves? Lord, help us to understand what your word is saying. Lord, would you give us insight and light? And Lord, having received light that you give us, help us to act accordingly. Lord, help us to respond in the way that you call us to respond. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's um, news about Jesus that is spreading throughout Galilee at the moment. So Jesus is becoming the most popular figure all around. And it's not any surprise because we've seen in these first six chapters that Jesus is doing things that no one else has ever done before. We saw um, that Jesus can bring people back from the dead. We've seen that Jesus on multiple occasions even commands demons, tells them to get out. We've seen that Jesus can make an unclean leper clean. We've seen that he can just heal any sickness. And all of this happens instantly. There's no fight. There's no struggle. Jesus commands and he has authority. So whatever he commands happens. And it's only now, after Jesus has already done all of these things in the first six chapters, that he has come onto the radar of King Herod. So King Herod, he knew all about John the Baptist because John the Baptist was hitting him up about his personal sin. He wasn't really aware about Jesus until now. So this is where Jesus pops onto the radar of Herod. And Herod, full of guilt, um, remembers how he was responsible for the death of John the Baptist. It's, it's no surprise that if John the Baptist did come back from, from the dead, if John the Baptist could accomplish such an amazing miracle, a miracle that's even greater than casting out demons, healing the sick, or bringing someone else back from the dead, is to come back yourself. And so it would only be logical that if this was John the Baptist, then of course he could command demons to go away. If he could come back from the dead, what would stop him from making a sick person well? What would stop him from casting out leprosy? And he comes to this conclusion about the identity of Jesus, that Jesus is really John the Baptist. That's what he comes to the conclusion. That's how he arrives at this conclusion. But this prompts a flashback for him. And he says about John the Baptist when he experiences this little flashback, now this is John whom I beheaded. So he owns, he owns it. He's responsible for beheading John and he knows it. And then Mark gives us a full breakdown of what actually happened. He, he tells us the story of, of how it actually happened in the timeline, how John the Baptist was actually killed by Herod. And so we'll just quickly look at that again. So John the Baptist is a prophet. And like we said in Matthew 11, 11, um, Jesus says about John that he was the greatest. This is the greatest Old Testament prophet yet. And he has the responsibility to make the way for Jesus to come, make the way clear so that the Lord himself can come. Um, and John the Baptist is sort of a high profile guy. Because he's so high profile, so popular, people are just flooding into the Jordan to be baptized by him. When, when he could say something, you know, people are going to carry that seriously. And he says to Herod, who is the king, not, not just some guy off the street, not your workmate, not your neighbor. This is the king of the area. 
This is the guy in charge of a quarter of a kingdom. He's in charge of the whole region of Galilee. And so as this person who was so prominent in the society and John being so prominent in the society, there happens this clash between the two. Herod um, is involved in a sin that the Old Testament really says you can't do. So the Old Testament says, if your brother is still alive, you can't go and marry his wife. He's still alive. Leviticus tells us that. But what does Herod do? He goes while his brother Philip is yet still alive and takes his wife with him. And John the Baptist goes and confronts him. He says, your marriage to Herodias is unlawful. There is no room in God's law for you to be with her. And now it's important to make clear that John is not giving his opinion. John is not going, hey, look, I've just thought about it. It doesn't look like a good idea that you be with Herodias. That's not what he's doing. He's not going with an opinion. He's not going with a point of view. He's going with God's point of view. He's not going with his opinion. He's going with God's law. So he takes to, to Herod and Herodias God's word. And he says, this is what God says, not my opinion. This is what he says. It is not lawful for you to be married to Herodias. And now look at the response that he gets. And we can see this response over and over again in our own society. When people are confronted with the word of God, what do they often do when they don't like what they hear? Look at what Herodias wants. She says, I want him dead. How, how can I stop him from, from talking? How can I take away this discomfort? How can I take away this pricking of the conscience? I'll shut the guy up. The fastest way to do that is to kill him. The fastest way to, to get him out of the picture is to have him dead. And Herodias, in her sinfulness, so angry with the word of God, so angry with God's opinion about her, says, I want to shut the guy up who's telling me what God is saying. Fastest way to do that, have him be killed. But here, I'll look at verse 20. It says there that he feared John. He didn't want John to, to be killed. He knew that John was a holy man and a righteous man. And he, know that even, he knew that even John was from God, sent by God. And he makes this compromise. Well, I, I don't want him to be killed because I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of those consequences. But instead, why don't we put him in prison? There's a compromise. We'll still shut him up. We'll put him away, but we don't have to kill him. And isn't that so much of what we see in the world today? Isn't it that our brothers and sisters, perhaps in the most persecuted of environments, um, people of different religions or different political persuasions want to silence Christians? Not because Christians have an opinion of themselves, not, not because Christians come with their own idea or point of view, but because Christians come with what God says about a certain issue. What does God say about abortion? What does God say about same-sex marriage? What does God say about being LGBT? What does God say about certain wars that are taking place? And the fastest way to get God's word out of the way and out of the picture is to make the people who are preaching and proclaiming it be quiet. So there comes one of the reasons our brothers and sisters all around the world are persecuted. Not because they have, a, have an opinion, but because they are sharing God's opinion. And people hating God hate the people who bring his message. Well, that's just a, just a brief description of Herodias and Herod. That's what they're up to here. 
And Herodias has missed an opportunity. She wished she could have killed him straight away. That would have been the best case scenario, kill John right at the start. But Herod, afraid, fearing John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, said, no, we'll put him in prison instead. You know, I'll, I'll make him be quiet, but I just don't want to kill him. And then there is a golden opportunity for Herodias. Look down at verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and of the leading men of Galilee. So this is the biggest night in Galilee. This is where all the celebrities are coming to. All of the high-profile, A-class, A-listers, this is the banquet that they're going to, and a big feast is being thrown because it's the king's birthday. And the king brings all of the A-listers to his, his palace, and then they have a big feed. They celebrate his birthday. And the entertainment for the night? Well, it's his wife's, his, his brother's daughter, his stepdaughter or his niece. And what she comes and does is she dances. And this is in the context here. It's not just she's come in and done a hip-hop dance or a contemporary dance and then walked out. This is, a, um, this is an exotic dance, one that men's eyes and, and their sinful lust would look at and be so excited about. And we see here, verse 22, for when Herodias' daughter came and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish. Basically, she's come and excited all of these men. And out of their lustfulness, they've become so happy with what, it, what this girl has just done. And out of this lustful experience, Herod makes a promise. So the promise is flawed to start with. It's a sinful promise. He's been, his lust has been peaked. All of these men in this room, they're so excited about it. And so he makes this promise, the sinful oath. Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Now, what's bad about this oath is it's bad in and of itself. It's driven by this lust, driven by this sinful desire. What is worse about this oath is what actually happened afterwards. So follow along with me. And he, he in verse 23, he says, and he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Look down at verse uh, 25, and she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist. The vow that he gave her was, I'll give you anything. Her request was, give me the head of John the Baptist. Now, his oath was evil to begin with. What is the right thing for him to do now that she has requested such an evil thing? She's come and said, hey, can you get blood on your hands and kill this innocent guy? The oath is bad. But following through with that oath is even worse. Um, Herod showed himself to be even more sinful because he followed through with it. And what was the reason that he followed through with this? Why did he do all of this? Why did he make this promise? And then even in verse 26, look at what his um, attitude is. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. So apparently, this is a moral guy who was worried about his integrity. Apparently, King Herod is worried that, look, I'm not going to look like an honest guy unless I actually kill this guy. Do you see the, the irony there? Do you see how contradictory that is? He thinks it is honorable for me to commit this sin. Um, there, there is no room for that. The right thing for him to do was just to revoke his oath, go back on it. But he couldn't. Why? Because of this outward peer pressure. And then in the end, 
John's head, this innocent man, this prophet of the Lord, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, his head was delivered on a platter to uh, this girl and then to her mother. Now, what I want everyone to notice about this story are three things. One is discernment. We'll just talk a little bit about discernment. Two, um, not only must we have discernment, but we must have conviction. So there's discernment, conviction, and then the third one is action. And let's just look at Herod as a case study. So Herod, what, what does he recognize? What does he discern about John the Baptist and who John the Baptist is? Verse 20 again, for he feared John. Why did he fear John? Because he knew that he was a, a righteous and holy man. Herod, even though he was a, a sinner, and this is the thing, everyone who is born is naturally a sinner. Everyone who is born is naturally infected by the original sin that was in the garden. Everyone um, by nature is totally what theologians call depraved. Every part of us is wicked, but God has left in us a conscience so that we might recognize the difference between right and wrong. And you could ask anyone. I've never, ever met a person who I've asked, is, is murder bad? It's just general, universal. Everyone always says, yes, I've never met a person who said, actually, it's, I think murder is a good idea. The, the human conscience is still intact. And Herod has some discernment when he comes to John the Baptist. When he meets this man, he doesn't think this is an evil guy. He doesn't think that this guy's bad. He says that this guy, and he recognizes that he is righteous and holy. And because of that, he kept them safe from being killed by his wife. So there is a, a, a measure of discernment. But discernment is not enough. Um, discernment does not get you to a place where you can act in accordance with what is true. So discernment might tell you what is true. Discernment might give you the right information that you need. But the right information and knowing the truth does not always lead to the right action. To get to that right action, you must have some conviction about what you have discerned. If you don't have conviction about the information that you know, you'll never act on it. And again, look at verse 20. He feared. He didn't just know that he was holy and righteous. There was actually something that was pulling him towards that truth. He feared. Look at verse 26. What is his attitude there? It says he was exceedingly sorry. And then this whole this whole flashback starts because of this overwhelming sense of guilt that Herod has. There, there is some conviction there. It's not just that he knows information about John. He's convicted about it. It has actually hit home with him. He actually feels that it's true. He actually has ascended to that information. So it's not just information. It's not just discernment that will bring the right action. You must be convicted. You must um, ascend to that information. You must have some um, understanding and pull towards the truth. So there is truth, and then there is being pulled towards the truth. But what was Herod's actions, though? Herod, look at verse 26 again. Even though he was sorry, he didn't want to break his oath to her. Verse 27, immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. So Herod knew that it was wrong to kill John. Not only did he know it was wrong, but he actually felt that it was wrong. He was actually pulled towards that truth that this is wrong. If I kill him, this is wrong. So he felt exceedingly sorry. 
He feared John because he knew he was holy and righteous. He felt so guilty about, about it after the fact. But what were his actions? His actions betrayed his convictions and his, and his discernment. So we can see, friends, discernment and conviction are not enough. Con uh, uh, information and actually being drawn to the information, knowing that information is true, is not enough to actually bring about the action that is required. So we see Herod ended up betraying his convictions. He's going against what he knows is true. He's going against what he feels in his heart to be true. And so he's found to be totally in sin. We face that every single day when it comes to an issue. Have you ever had an experience where you thought, look, I, I know whether this is right or wrong. And I'd actually feel bad if I did the wrong thing. And I, I, I'd know that I'm doing the right thing if I actually did the right thing. And you, and you have a little bit of an internal battle. The most important time where you must not only discern, but you have to have conviction and you must act about it is when it comes to Jesus. Look at verse 14 down to verse 16. This is where people are coming to Herod saying, Herod, there is this guy going all throughout Galilee doing all of these wonderful things. After I have seen, after I've seen him, after I've heard all of the reports, this is my assessment of this man. This is what I have discerned about this man. This is what I think is true about this man. And what did they come back with? The same thing that a whole bunch of other people were coming back with. Do you remember Matthew 16? Jesus says, who are they saying that I am? What did the disciples say to him? Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you are one of the prophets. So when it comes to discernment on the most important issue, Herod falls short. He must have discernment. He must know what is true. And he has fallen short even there. Do you know who Jesus is? If Jesus asked that same question of you that he asked his disciples, who do, who do you say that I am? Would you say, well, he's a, a pretty good teacher? Would you come to the same conclusion that Herod has come to? Or he, he's just one of the old prophets, sort of like John the Baptist. If that's true, then you have fallen short, even on the recognition part, even on the discernment part, you have fallen short. Unless you can discern who Jesus is, then you will never be saved. And Herod here does not discern who Jesus is. And history will tell us he, he never did. Have you discerned who Jesus is? And if you have, that's great, but it's not enough. Have you been convicted about who Jesus is? Mark 1.1 says that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This whole book is about who Jesus is. And Mark wants us to know that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Have you come to discern that about Jesus? Or are you making the same mistake that these men have made? And if you haven't made that mistake and you have discerned, do you have that conviction? Will you, will you say to yourself, this is absolutely true. I feel it in my bones. I feel it in my heart. I am pulled towards this truth. I agree with what this truth is saying. I agree with, with my discernment about Jesus. This is the son of God. This is the Christ. And praise God if you have reached that far. But even then, 
that falls short. Because Pilate, Pilate is in a position where King Herod is with Jesus. And he makes this conclusion about uh, Jesus in John 19. He says, there's nothing wrong with this guy. The Jews have brought him. They've arrested him. They've brought him to Pilate. And Pilate says, after just talking to him, there's nothing wrong. He's an innocent man. So Pilate has discerned that this is an innocent man. And then it even says that he didn't want to give him over. He didn't want to kill him because he was an innocent man. He has some conviction about the truth that he knows. But what does Pilate do in the end? Well, we see that discernment and conviction is not enough. Pilate hands him over and just totally works against what he believes and what he's convicted by and gives him over to be crucified because of the peer pressure of the Jews crying out, crucify him. Herod and Pilate have strikingly similar stories here. They've come to the right conclusion about the person. They have the conviction about this, but yet they betray both of those things. Friends, knowledge and conviction fall short of fully trusting in Jesus. You must know who Jesus is. You have to. You can't trust him unless you know who he is. You must be convicted about that truth about Jesus. You must be convicted. Unless you are convicted by it, you can't actually trust in him. But those two things fall short if you don't follow through and actually put your weight on what you discern and what you are convicted by. If you can, you can betray those, just like Pilate, just like Herod. So who do you say that Jesus is? If you say that he is the Christ, the Son of God, are you really convicted by that? And if you are convicted by that, have you moved from that conviction to put your trust in him? Have you moved from that conviction to really put your weight on him and say, you know what, I'm going to put all of my chips in here. I'm putting everything on this conviction that I have about Jesus, that he is the Son of God, the one who will save us from our sins. And friends, I'll leave you with that. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we see how sinful humans are and that the creator of the universe stepped down into his creation and yet he was unrecognized by those who were his creatures, who were made by his hands. And Lord, we see how troublesome that is that our master walked among people, and yet they could not recognize him from their neighbor or from someone else. Lord, we ask that you would give us uh, the ability. Would you give us the heart that would recognize Jesus? We know that recognizing him is impossible apart from you allowing us to see him. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us to see Jesus. And, Lord, would you not stop there? Would you go further? Would you help us, Lord, to trust would you help us to be convicted by that truth so that we might depend upon that truth and put all of our weight on it? Lord, help anyone here is, who is struggling in any of those steps, whether they are struggling to discern whether this is the Christ, the Son of God, or whether they're struggling with that conviction um, and actually being pulled towards that truth, or Lord, whether they're struggling to put their weight on that truth. Lord, help us. We know that coming to Christ is impossible unless the Father draws us. So, Lord, would you do that this morning? Draw us to the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might get it all right. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.